to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart, the podcast where we chat with athletes, coaches and industry professionals about the benefits of being involved in sport beyond performance. episode of season one. This week's guest is professional Australian triathlete Levi Maxwell. Throughout the few years I've been watching triathlons I've always admired Levi so it's an absolute honour to be joined by him for a chat. In this episode we discuss Levi's introduction to the sport as an adult and how he transitioned from a beginner who had to teach himself how to swim to taking out the age group Ironman World Championships two years running and then making his mark in the professional arena. Levi also shares some of the injuries and mental challenges that he's faced as part of his journey in the sport. This episode is open and raw and does discuss panic attacks so if this is something triggering to you please skip ahead. Levi's insightful and humble attitude is the perfect way to wrap up the first season. Thank you so much for joining me along the start of this journey. If you'd like to find out more, you can find us at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart on Facebook and Instagram. Season two will be launching in 2021, but keep an eye out for bonus content in the meantime. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review. It helps make this podcast more discoverable. If you are someone who's benefited from participating in sport and would like to share your journey, please shoot me a message via our Facebook or Instagram page. You can also email Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart at Outlook.com. Let's get into today's episode. So Levi, welcome to our podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Fee. Thanks for having me. No, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been so excited to get you on and I've been talking about it for weeks. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak to me, especially now that training's coming back. Yeah, no, no worries at all. So you are a professional triathlete in Australia. Can you tell us about your sport and how you got into it? Yep. So triathlon, I had no idea what it was growing up and I got into it quite late. I think I was 18 or 19 when I did my first try. I grew up doing team sports like cricket, footy, and then I was playing golf, but was always passionate about sort of fitness and health. So I always did like your PE subjects and health subjects in year 11, 12. I was going to the gym, just staying fit, doing cycle classes and running on the treadmill and stuff. And a guy at work where I was working at the time was Coles was doing triathlon. He's like, you might as well do a triathlon. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And then, yeah, longer the short got me, got me to, well, persuaded me into going and buying a bike and learning how to swim and then going from there. Oh, wow. So you hadn't learned how to swim as a child? No, no, nah, not at all. Like, like, I think I knew, I knew how to swim to like save my life, I suppose, but I never did any competitive swimming. And I remember in year 11 or year 12, it was VCE and we, as part of PE, we went to the pool and swam some laps. I can't remember why, but and I remember my PE teacher saying I was the worst swimmer he had seen. So 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very rough. <laughs> so how did you, you know, teach yourself to swim in order to compete in a triathlon? Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just, once I put my mind to something, I'll get a bit um, obsessed, I suppose. Like, um, so funnily enough, I was a swim teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah, any time I had a chance, I'd get in the pool and swim. Like, I was just watching heaps of info. At the time, I didn't really have a coach, so I just kind of was trying to teach myself. But then eventually, I ended up getting people to help me teach myself, I suppose. Like, it's hard as an adult because there's not really a whole heap of learn to swim or like competitive swim teaching or groups so even at some some points like I would I'd manage to get in with a squad but it was all kids so like you're the only adult there but yeah I guess just as unfun as it was I just made myself swim as as much as I could yeah that's incredible and it's a big step going from you know not being a swimmer as a teenager to making that leap as an adult like I know even just psychologically it's a bit like a little bit scary that, you know, you're swimming with kids or, you know, 13 year olds and you're here at 19, 20. Yeah. No, that's good on you. That's amazing. Yeah. And even just with that, like swimming's very intimidating. I think for people who aren't swimmers, like so even just things as going to the pool and your budgies was very weird for me. So I remember when I first started off, I would be in, in footy shorts. So it was, yeah, it was something that was very much out of my comfort zone. And I guess I'm pretty proud of myself for, getting to the level I have gotten to and not coming from a swimming background. Yeah, well, I'm certainly impressed and I came from a swimming background. So you're doing something right. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> this is personally like a little bit of a question I really would like to know because being a competitive swimmer myself, how did you go from learning how to swim in the pool to then transitioning that into the ocean? Because that's a very big difference. Yeah, you're right. It is very different. And it's, it's pretty scary too. Like, yeah, especially when you're not a competent swimmer yourself, I guess. Yeah, I guess I just, again, threw myself in the deep end and I got a lot of my experience through racing. So just racing a lot, whether it be open water swimming races or triathlon races, which the two times U series or formerly Gatorade triathlon series is really good for just because you race so frequently over summer. Um, but I found them really good to get experience and then get more comfortable like i wouldn't have been able to swim by myself in the open water you know when i first started just because i would have been uncomfortable and as much as you shouldn't swim by yourself like now i probably would be a lot more comfortable with it yeah so yeah it's one of those one of those things that's really hard to practice because you know you need you either need a group or you need some people to swim with and then like again like it's not like you said, it's not the same as swimming in the pool. You don't have a black line to follow. Your stroke changes a little bit. The water's not flat. You could be wearing a wetsuit, so that feels different again. So, yeah, I, I guess I just, I just practiced it as much as I could. I remember, like, yeah, I wasn't confident enough to go swim by myself. So if I did go down by myself, I would be swimming in, like, water where you could stand up the whole time and just, like, I'd probably only swim 500 metres, but it just, like, was baby steps in the right direction, I suppose. Yeah, no, I really like to hear that, you know, you're one of Australia's best professional triathletes and that you've, you know, taken those baby steps to do that. That's really incredible. Yeah, I've tried a little bit of open water swimming and I go really, really slow and stop on the way out to the poles and then on the way back, well, I'm very quick. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I might try swimming just across the beach where I can stand up. That might help. Yeah, like if you just swim parallel to the beach, it gives you a little bit more confidence. But yeah, swimming out to the pole is pretty scary, I reckon, especially if you're by yourself. Uh, oh, I don't think Todd would let me go by myself. I'm always out there with him. Is there a specific moment that you knew that you were passionate about triathlon? I'd probably say from the get-go, just because like what I said earlier, like once I put my mind to something, I'm pretty stubborn and focused on it, I suppose. So I guess because I was already real passionate about health and fitness, like it just, once I've sort of got my head around what it was, it just fit really well with, I guess, my values. So yeah, pretty much from day dot. But then like the motivation behind the triathlon probably changed as things progressed. Yeah, so you started out, like as most people do, probably in the age group races. And how long did you do that for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think it was about eight years I was racing as an age grouper. So I, I think I took things pretty progressively. Like I took my time with it. So like from first triathlon being a Gatorade, two times you try, try series race. Like, I think I did that series, which had an Olympic distance in it. And then the next season, I sort of did a half. Then I think I had, like, a season off completely. And then a couple of seasons later, I did an Ironman. So, like, I slowly worked my way up the distances as it went along. Yeah, and then you turned pro, would it have been a few years ago? It's only been a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, it was 2016. Yeah, so basically, I yeah started as an age grouper progress to like open which is it's not pro it's just where you can race other elite age groupers i suppose i think my first triathlon series with the the gatorade at the time i think i might have come like third in the series for the 18 to 25 age group or something and like that sort of sparked more of a competitiveness in me but then like i think i went on later on to like podium at half distances and then like as age grouper worked my way up to qualifying for Ironman world champs as an age grouper and then I won that 2014 2015 as an age grouper and then from there oh actually yeah, in 2015 I think I did Ironman Cairns and came fourth overall as an age grouper and at the time like that just fed a lot of confidence to try and pursue being a professional looks like I had one Ironman world champs as an age grouper and then I've just come fourth overall it was like two seconds behind Dylan McNeese for third um, and as as much as that fed my confidence at the time I look back at it now and like it's a different race the pros and the age groupers but you know that really then I went back to Hawaii and won my age group for the world champs and then decided to take my pro license in uh, at Geelong 2016 and yeah I've been racing pro since. Oh that's so incredible and for the people who are kind of unfamiliar with endurance sports I know I live with an endurance athlete so I know how many hours go into it but how many hours do you train a week? Yeah it varies like depending on what I'm training for and what my goals are and the time of year but I'll say most of the time it's probably you know the lower end's probably 15 hours and then the upper end's you know 30 35 just yeah, you know, like that final prep might be like 35 for an Ironman. But it, but also I've gone into Ironmans off of 25 hours a week and raced well. So it kind of just depends on how you want to skin the cat, I suppose, so to speak. Yeah, you lead yeah. up and how you're feeling and what the race is. Yeah, absolutely. Do you no. split it up evenly between the three sports or how do you break that up, those hours up? 
No, nah, not necessarily evenly because the bike consumes so much of the time. I mean, like for an Ironman, your long ride will probably end up being about six hours um, thereabouts, whereas your long run will be maybe two and a half, depending on, like this is me personally, everyone's different. Yeah. And like your long swim might be an hour and a half. Like it's, so swimming is always the least amount. But having said that, like that could be your focus. So mm-hmm. yeah, you might spend a block focusing on your swimming, which just means you might not ride and run as much or as hard. Just try and save some energy. Cause that's the, the tricky part of it all is if you want to work on a weakness, it's very hard to sort of step back from your strength to then be able mm-hmm. to feed the energy into your weakness. But um, yeah, each block's different. And it's funny, like the sport can be so mind boggling at times because you could do one prep, get real successful off of that prep, and then do it for another race and then have a stinker. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what you said, you almost got to learn how to sort of manage yourself, how you feel, the environment you're in. And yeah, and just sort of go with, yeah, your instincts, I suppose, a little bit in terms of your training. Um, it's a fine line between following the program and then digging yourself a hole, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And not experienced it to that extent at all myself I, you know I only had one sport to focus on but I've seen Todd juggle the three and yeah it's interesting at times yeah I'm sure you saw many red eyes and naps <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> so you are also coaching a little bit is that correct yep yep so I've got a small small squad so I don't do so much hands-on stuff but a lot of it's online yeah, we try and get together, especially in the warmer months. Yeah, and what's it called? It's um, it's a pretty pretty average name, I reckon. But uh, <laughs> Max Performance Coaching, I just shortened it to MPC. Yeah, I've been coaching off and on pretty much throughout my whole adult life, be it triathlon or other sports. But yeah, triathlon coaching, it just yeah it makes sense. Like it's what I'm passionate about, and it keeps me sort of honest to myself but also like keeps me learning about the sport like looking into things and yeah I love that I um found that I transitioned a little bit out of my competitive swimming into coaching and it it kind of does balance it out you can see things from both perspectives yeah absolutely like I think pretty much anything I've given out I've done myself so you you kind of know where things are going but also like like you said yourself like if you were a swimmer you know sort of the signs that things aren't going well or, you know, how you felt as a swimmer, how certain things made you feel, which just gives you insight to, you know, perhaps what your athletes are feeling or things to look out for. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, shout out to your uh, coaching business and maybe we can pop a link to it in the show notes. (laughs) Cool. Sounds good. You mentioned before, you know, you won two age group Kona Ironman world champs, which is, absolutely incredible like that's insane what are any other significant milestones either wins losses or injuries that you know have really shaped your sporting journey um it's probably like half a dozen or so but i mean like my first try i mean that's that was a huge win in my mind just because it's so being in lycra being in a wetsuit running around like so foreign to anything I'd ever done before. So just, I mean, that was a memorable race, I suppose. Yeah, obviously the world, two world champs as an age grouper. That fourth place overall or age group win at 
Ironman Cairns. That was probably the first Ironman race I did where I actually sort of felt pretty good. Like I learned a lot from that race. Um, and then like, yeah, the confidence of coming forth overall a couple of seconds off of the overall podium, despite it being completely different races and probably not really relevant at all. But, um, you know, that just gave me some confidence to, to pursue the sport professionally. And then like my first podium, which was a half distance in Vietnam, where I came second, like, yeah, was leading the race for most of the run and then just got, got picked off in the last couple of Ks. But oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, my first two full distance wins, which was Challenge Shepparton and, and um, Challenge Anhui, which was in China. Which was, that was probably the first full distance race I've done where like, I, I didn't really, the wheels didn't fall off. Like, I actually felt like I executed what I wanted to execute. And yeah, it was by far my best result and lucky enough to get a win. Like, so they're probably the, the more memorable or good memorable things. There's obviously the bad ones, which um, my first DNF were in Spain. Yeah, breaking my elbow shortly after that in Thailand. Um, so just, I think the sport is full of highs and lows and it's, I guess not necessarily how you bounce back from them, but just trying to keep things as level as you can sort of helps you stay consistent and get the results you want. Yeah. And you mentioned that you broke your elbow. Now as a fellow person who has broken their elbow, whereabouts did you break it? Uh, it's the ulna. Um, just on like, like literally the point of my elbow. Um, <laughs> And it was more shattered than broken. Like, I, I think I remember seeing the CT scan and it was, it looked like crumbly bits. So that was great. Yeah. So it was, they had a bone graft from down further, Alna, two plates, 10 screws, some wires. So I think I did a pretty good job of it. Yeah. That was probably, that's probably been the most difficult thing to, to overcome in terms of like physical injury. Mm-hmm. But even on the, on the back of that, like, like I don't know if it's, um yeah if, if it's all just sort of compounded but i remember having a few panic attacks whilst i was recovering from from the um elbow surgery which yeah i think that's probably that was probably the hardest thing to come to terms with and over or overcome manage yeah yeah and was it probably because and i went through something i may have had a glass of wine when I did it. So it wasn't a racing injury. But I remember when I went to the hospital, I knew it was bad. And they're like, you're probably not going to be able to swim again. And did they say something similar to you? Um, well, when I first went to the hospital, it was in Thailand. So it wasn't a whole lot of conversation going on or it was pretty hard to, to understand the full depths of things, I suppose. But I got on a plane, came straight home. I was lucky enough that I had a, sports doc mitch anderson um from shinbone medical little shout out but <laughs> i rang him and he answered straight away i think it was a sunday too i have a bad habit calling him on a sunday but um so i got on a flight got home um i'm pretty sure it was straight off the plane to see the surgeon and the surgeon uh, at the time i remember thinking oh he's bloody mr personality because they, they gave me nothing but in hindsight that's probably good because there's probably not much positive to say at that stage anyways and he was great after the fact but no no one ever sort of said anything they just said you know you you probably won't get full extension back Mm -hmm. um you know you're gonna have a bit of bit of fun going for that sort of thing and 
I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to swim or swim properly again. Um, mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, well, I can just do duathlon then. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just did every, like worked real hard with Mitch and, and another physio to try and get as much range back as I could. And I was going to the pool, swimming single arm with my other, uh, with my other arm, like doing kick as much as I could. Um, just trying to do as much to keep as much feel and movement in the water as I could, but also just mentally too, to try and feel normal, Mm -hmm. um, doing the things I normally would do as much as I could. But, um, yeah, there was always that thought, but yeah, I I think I was pretty lucky that I had some good people around me that didn't really feed the negativity because I was already probably feeding enough of that to myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really insane that you say that because that was the mental game of the thing that you love got taken away from you because you were injured. And that's probably just as hard, if not harder than the actual physical injury itself and the healing that it takes. And even after you've got a little bit of range of motion back, the healing that it takes mentally to go, okay, like now I'm going for my first open water swim. Am I able to do it? Like, is my arm strong enough to do this? Yeah, absolutely. And then even still, like, you get to a point where you can swim relatively normal and then, but you'll get pain every now and then or, like, you can't use paddles properly or, or like, you're right, you might chuck on the wetsuit and then it feels a bit weird and get a bit of pain. Can't do push-ups, can't do chin-ups. Like, yeah, all these little things that remind you every now and then that you're not quite right were hard to deal with, I suppose. Mm. Um, but what was probably more difficult as well, like at least is a physical injury, you knew what happened, you knew how to sort of rehab it as best you could. The, but the unknown was whether or not you'd get full range back or anything like that. But with the mental side of things like panic attacks, like never had them before in my life. And then to like, that was even more confusing. So like, what's mm-hmm. going on? Like I've never had these before. Why now? Like, is my brain damaged? Is it, is it from the medications that they've given you during surgery? Um, yeah, so probably rehabbing that was more difficult. Like, it's the same thing, really, when you put it into perspective. Like, you know, if something's out of whack, something's injured, not right, you've got to rehab it. But it just doesn't make sense. Like, I've had panic attacks before, and thank God they're not as regularly as what they have been. But when you, you maybe got your first one, did you not know what it was? Because I my first panic attack I was like what is this like I'm gonna die and I was in the middle of a shopping center and I was fine but my body was telling me I was gonna die did you know straight away it was a panic attack no I actually called the ambulance because I thought I was dying yeah so yeah um, yeah it was quite scary and then even then to be told you're having a panic attack you're just like no I've never had them before I'm not even anxious like you know I've had this significant event but you know, I've come to terms with it and, you know, I've already decided I'm going to do duathlon if I can't swim again. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And yeah, it's probably a harder thing to, to manage or rehab than, because you can't see it. It's not like an elbow. It's not like a hamstring where, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting and scary, I suppose. But once, yeah, I guess the more you have them, the sort of, uh, the more you understand that you're not dying, I suppose, which is a good thing. Yeah, and, like, the more you're able or the quicker you're able to identify that you're having it. And I know once I was able to identify I'm having a panic attack and verbalise it 
to people like my mum or Todd, it would be over quicker. Have you found something similar? Yeah, I get, yep, that ends also like, you know, whether you just, you have strategies to try and manage it, whatever they are, and then you can put them in place rather than keep feeding into yourself that you, you're dying. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. That's why I think like with, with time, you know, they pretty much go away. A combination of probably management, preventative measures, but then also, like you said, just recognising what they actually are. Yeah, and if you don't mind me asking, like, did you see a sports psychologist to help find those strategies? Yeah, I don't know if he was an actual sports psychologist, but, yeah, I did work with a psychologist to, I guess, come to terms with things and work on some strategies. Yeah, well... Thank you so much for, you know, sharing such a raw and personal aspect of, you know, your, your struggles with what that injury actually came to. Um, I think mental health is, I guess, as you said, the unseen thing, but it's just as real and it's just as debilitating as a physical injury. Oh, if anything, it's worse. And that's, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's not something I love talking about, but I think it's probably good that more and more people talk about it and try and normalise it a bit more. But, I mean, something like that versus an elbow, like, it's shocking cheese. Like, yeah, the mental health stuff's so much scarier than, than yeah, a broken elbow or, or an ITV injury or something like that. But, yeah, that it was just, it's just, yeah, just part of the story, I suppose, and that's how things... Yeah, so that was a really difficult time for me to manage two significant injuries in one. But yeah, just potted through that. And then touch wood, I haven't really had anything major since, apart from a couple of like pretty bad illnesses, which, I mean, that's just kind of part and parcel of the sport. But yeah, things are on the, on the up and up until COVID, um, <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, hopefully we'll be racing again in the next couple of months, which will be nice. Yeah, so the 2XU series, is it six weeks out now? Yeah, I think that's right, six or seven, yep. That's exciting. Um, yeah, and I can't wait. Like, even though they're, you know, not really what, what I train for, like, just to be racing again and feeling normal again will be nice. Yeah, yeah and um, I guess, you know, we've had a little bit of freedom the last month. Being able to leave five kilometres from your house has been good too, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Like 5Ks, like radius riding your bike or even running. Like it's, um, yeah, depending on where you live, it's real difficult. Um, so, yeah, definitely good to be seeing some some roads a bit further from home. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And, you know, you've touched on a few things, struggles and highlights of your journey, but what are the benefits sport has provided you as an individual that has transferred over to other avenues of your life? Yeah, I actually kind of struggled with this question. Um, so if anything, I, I kind of think it goes the other way around. I reckon things in, yeah, maybe junior sport might be the exception, but I think like each person has these certain values and that sort of attracts them to certain sports. Mm-hmm. So you know, people who really value maybe like family or team, team environment, you know, probably gravitate towards team sports. And then people who sort of are really maybe intrinsic or, you know, want to push themselves in their own way, probably gravitate towards, you know, endurance sports. But also in that though, like 
the sport does like endurance sport triathlon it does give you a little bit of a sense of family whether it be a club or the people you sort of keep in touch with that you meet at races and stuff like that like there's been people i've met overseas or or even in australia that you know you just you'll be on a bus to a race and you go oh you're racing you're racing and then you keep in touch ever since so there is that element of it but I, but i think the training too you needed to be largely internally driven because there's not always someone to train with there's not always so yeah i think that kind of you know my values brought me to the sport rather than the other way around but um but yeah the sport does teach you things like whether it be discipline because you don't get you know you don't get results or pvs from not being disciplined Mm-hmm. but yeah i guess it goes both ways yeah yeah tricky question sorry the long way around that and it's probably a crappy answer but yeah i guess that's the way i look at it um no i absolutely love that perspective and i guess i've thought about it a little bit as to what drew me to swimming and i am an introvert and probably it was a nice thing that i could just stick my head underwater and not talk to people if i didn't want to but then you touched on the family aspect that if you do want that family, you can have that family in endurance sports. And I think sometimes, I don't know, I've never participated in a team sport, but sometimes it's a little bit deeper of a family that you can go off, do your own thing, but still come back and you guys are really strong no matter what happens. And yeah, no, I really love that perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, yeah, it's a bit hard to um, to chat when you're swimming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, although kicking, you might have seen it. Like, you can talk with a kickboard. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, no, I really love that answer. That's awesome. Is there a lesson you've learnt along the way that you want to share? I guess it's for me personally, like, and tr- try not to bang on about too much, but maybe going back to, you know, the panic attacks or mental health struggle. And like, I, I, you know, who knows the, the actual root causes of that. Um, but I think the sport sort of taught me, you know, maybe not to obsess about it so much. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, the sport does tend to attract those types of personalities where you can, you know, you kind of do obsess about things. But I guess if anything, it sort of taught me that obsession's not healthy because, you know, it could be taken from you at any stage. And then that's, you know, it's just going to create bigger problems. So I guess since then I've just sort of learned that, yeah, I love the sport, dedicated to sport, but it's good to have things outside of it. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, I guess, lesson from it all. Oh, my gosh. I love that lesson. Todd and I talk about this a lot because we've both, I guess, got, very obsessive personalities. Um, You've probably seen it in yourself. And yeah, sport can make you very tunnel visioned towards your results in just your sport. But yeah, like it's definitely, I guess it comes with age as well, being able to see as an adult that there are other things in life that just don't revolve around sport. And yeah, like, (laughs) I, I love that. And is one of those things your beautiful dog Kona? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because I grew up having dogs, but then, you know, a selfish athlete, didn't want to have any other commitments. So I was sort of straight away from having having dogs um, again. But, you know, the partner talked me into it. So now no no regrets at all. So, it's yeah, it's been a great, um, 
great grounder, I suppose, having a dog. Um, but yeah, and even just other things like trying to be a little bit more social things and, um, you know, trying to go back to my loves as, as a child, I guess, and playing golf and stuff like that. But yeah, whereas in the past, I'd be like, no, nah, I have to train tomorrow. I can't do that or whatever. So just trying to find that happy medium because there are times when you do need to be probably a little bit obsessive, you know, especially if you're training something like the Ironman and you're in the final build and you're training, you know, 25, 30 hours a week or whatever it might be, or even for an age group, you know, if you're working 30 hours a week and then trying to train 20, you know, for that moment in time, you probably do have to be, don't like to use the word sacrifice, but, um, you know, you probably do have to change, yeah, your priorities. But, yeah, it's just not healthy, I think, to be 24-7 obsessed with one thing. So, yeah, things like don't sacrifice because sacrifice never ends in anything. Um, there's always resentment there, I suppose. So, you know, if you want a dog, get a dog. Um, if, you, if you want to play golf, play golf, like whatever it might be. Uh, just enjoy life a little bit more. And then I think a lot of the times you'll end up being more successful at your sport anyways because you'll be happier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, like would that extra hour that you would have spent training really have paid off in the long run? If you could have, you know, been playing with your dog or been out playing golf with your mates, if those other things make you happier. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, it's like, it's like the old training peaks thing where, you know, everything can look great on paper, but if you're not, if you're not happy, you, you know, it's going to affect your hormones, it's going to affect how you perform. Like we're not robots. So yeah, you need to do things that also, not saying a sport doesn't make you happy, but it's like anything that comes to a point where, you know, you, you get a bit tired of it or whatever, and you just need to do something else for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I guess sport is your job. So you've got to kind of have that fun activity outside of your job or your profession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, especially because I do the coaching as well. So you kind of get consumed in triathlon, which I don't think you can sustain if you don't love it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I think a lot of people love their jobs, but you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You just, you sometimes just need some other outlet, you know, whether it's a bushwalk or you're playing with your dog, just something that takes you away from something you do all day, every day. Cause it, it kind of like that distance makes the heart grow fonder kind of approach. Like it'll make you enjoy your sport more if you're not doing it 24 seven, like, or, yeah. or whatever it might be. Oh, I love that lesson. That's, that's incredible. That makes me really happy because it's the same way I think. So yeah, no, I really, really think it's a valuable lesson. Have you been involved in a project where sport has been used to develop the community? Um, not triathlon specifically. Like obviously the coaching kind of a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like I sort of said, I've been doing sort of coaching or teaching most of my adult life. So like I did things like active after school care programs, which I mean, kind of creates a little community for the kids. But it's actually something I think triathlon has, but not it, the, the sports just real hard because it's financial and time burden. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's actually something I would like to see in the future. You know, maybe when I'm done with racing, maybe it's something I'll do. I don't know. But um, it'd be great to see sort of, and I'm sure there's probably something out there like this already, but, you know, free training slash participation, like whether it be something kind of like park run, just to get more people into the sport because it's so expensive. It's so time consuming. 
you know, it probably limits the amount of people who can actually get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much info out there. So it'd be great to see little communities get together and do a free Thursday run session or something. But yeah, no, I haven't done that, but I've thought about it. <laughs> but yeah. I love that. And speaking of park run, did you get a KOM at your local park run this year? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like park run, not park run or whatever it was because because of COVID there wasn't an official park run. But um, I, I love park run. And yes, yeah, so I was part of my COVID uh, goals, I suppose, to go for it. And yeah, I think I got two of them in the end, Berwick Springs and Berwick Waters. So that's like, that's just as good as a, a professional triathlon win, I reckon. So <laughs> yep, very happy with those. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know um, Todd set up his own park run around our block and I think he got it because he's the only one that, uh, you know, has raced it. But now that the 5K limit's down, his brother's Nathan will, I think, top him off for it. Oh, I might have to go for a bit of a drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, beat them both. No, <laughs> uh, nah, bless him. That's, that's, that's hilarious. But yeah, uh, it's good to have, like, it was, especially like you said, doing that 5k limit thing. It was great to have those little goals, but yeah, no, that's funny. Yeah. And so obviously COVID has thrown a spanner in the works for a lot of sports. Where do you see the future of sport? I mean, obviously COVID, especially because speaking about triathlon specifically, I think there's a lot of worry, or for me anyways, when I think about triathlon, there's a lot of worry about the future of the sport here in Australia and globally, just because of, you know, things like COVID now, which is making it really hard to travel um, and really expensive. Um, but there was already issues, like I think I shared um, an article from, I think it's New York Times. I was talking about a professional athlete who was saying that it's becoming harder to be a professional athlete just because, like, the support of it's hard. Like, yeah, there's less money in it. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to sort of even get a baseline and it still costs us a lot of money to even be professional athletes. Like we still have to pay membership fees. We still have to pay depending on, you know, your name and the caliber of events and stuff like that. You still have to pay your way to get to events. And then there could be 20 or 30 people on the start line and maybe only eight will get paid. Um, But then only really top five might make money. Like, you know, those bottom three might break even. So it's really hard to make a living from it professionally but even from like you know mass participation point of view and even even feeding down further from a training point of view like with work as it is and traffic as it is like I think it's just really hard for people to find the time to be able to commute to training sessions to then train to then commute home who may you know have families and stuff you know a one hour run can easily turn into three or four hours of getting there, training, getting home. So I think it's just, you know, it's going to become less, yeah, less achievable for a lot of people to even do the sport. You know, and then there's the costs, but even like for organisers, you know, with with cities building up and stuff to be able to close roads. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a lot of worry there, I think, for the sport. And hopefully it's just me catastrophizing a bit about it all. But yeah, from that point of view, I think it's a bit grim. But if anything, stuff like COVID sort of showing us how resilient people are and we'll find ways around it, whether it be going online with your Zwift and having group rides in there. So, I mean, that's all pretty positive because at least, you know, it's showing that people in the sport are resilient and can find ways around obstacles, which I guess you'd expect from triathletes. Yeah, well, yes, definitely. And it's, you know, it's very interesting 
that you've mentioned the built up areas that we're you know we're, we're we are building up like we're i guess 40 are you 40 minutes out of melbourne yeah yep yeah. well yeah. on a good on a good run so yeah <laughs> probably Ideally. an hour and a half on a bad run yeah yeah and things like that so if you wanted to say train in the city i don't know albert park if you were doing a session there you know that would take you a fair time to just get there and get home let alone the session that you wanted to do and then i guess yeah the closed circuits when you're racing and i how much money that would cost the event organizers i know i always think like a little bit nervous i guess when todd's out in the black like oh i hope there's no cars on the course yeah exactly and like i don't know if it's sometimes a financial thing or if sometimes it's just you absolutely cannot have roads closed for that long but mm-hmm. yeah, it is a worry. Like, um, there's been a few races where, you know, it'd be partly closed roads, traffic managed, but depending on where you are in the race, like you're very vulnerable because you might be by yourself and people don't see you and they let cars go or that intersection might not be manned. So just, yeah, stuff like that. But even just from a planning perspective, like, you know, some locals probably don't love, like the beach road, for example, probably don't love having events on every weekend in summer. Um, so, you know, you're always sort of fighting with that too, which, yeah, just the more you think about it, I guess, the more you can sort of spiral down. But, yeah, I guess those are the obstacles the sport's going to have to face. And even things just like water quality, like we get a couple of mils of rain and, you know, you have to worry about runoff and then you end up doing a duathlon anyway. So, yeah, there's, there's some, some issues there. But, yeah, hopefully we just keep evolving and finding ways around it all. Yeah, that's it. And... I guess it's nothing that me and you can control, but what you can control is that free clinic that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I should um, should uh, put my money where my mouth is and yep, do something along those lines. <laughs> I could see that turning into a very, very positive thing for the sport, like for children just getting into it or for even adults like yourself who just discovered it. Yeah, I think that could be something pretty special and I'm excited to see, you know, potentially where you take that. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You've said it, now you're committed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Levi, thank you so, so much for, you know, taking time out of your day to talk to me. I know we're six weeks out from, you know, the first racing for, for a while and, yeah, I really, really do appreciate and respect how much time you've given me and given us. And I can't wait for this episode to air. Uh, cheers. Now, thanks again for having me, Fee. And yeah, it's an honour to be on your podcast. You've got some, some great names and stories in there. So no, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you'd like to be on the show, please send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Until next time.